What's up, Irish fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Slauncher Out. As always, I'm your host, Jack Leniart, and we've got another great episode for you today. Ben Belden joins the podcast to break down Notre Dame's 47-40 to double overtime victory over number one Clemson this past weekend. We break down what it means for Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame football program, and then we got into the upcoming Boston College game this Saturday. Before we get to that conversation, we have a quick word about Anchor. I'm joined again by the incomparable Ben Belden. Ben, I, I get the feeling I know how you're going to answer this question, but how are you doing today? Um, I'm doing real well, especially since you used the adjective incomparable to describe me. I've, that's <laughs> not one that people usually use to describe me, to be honest. So um, I'm a little taken aback in a good way. So, uh, But obviously on a more, a little bit more of a serious note, I guess I'm doing pretty well because of, you know, a monkey we got off our back on Saturday. Absolutely. And uh, as we were talking about before we hit record, uh, don't really have a plan for this podcast, but following a game like we saw Saturday night, this feels like the, the type of podcast where we could just kind of go with the flow. Um, so, yeah, let's 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 dive right into it. Um, I think it's probably best to start more with the big picture. Um, and so what do you think a win like this does for uh, the like the legacy of Brian Kelly and like the state of the program moving forward. I mean, I think that Brian Kelly and I was kind of thinking about this even before you, I mean, kind of hinted that you were sort of going to ask this question even before we started recording that you look at like, so I use Notre Dame's basketball program as kind of an example. And we've talked about, or at least I've talked about and probably with you at certain points that Mike Bray as the, coach of Notre Dame basketball has like gotten to a point where he is the coach until he decides he doesn't want to be the coach anymore. I kind of feel that same way now about Brian Kelly. I mean, I, I sort of felt like that already, but a, a win like this, the first win over a number one ranked opponent in 27 years and, you know, just a general, and we can get into the nuts and bolts about this a little bit, but just even the eye test of how Notre Dame looked on the field in comparison to Clemson, um, the, you know, the talent gap that some people said that was there wasn't there. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, certainly it sort of matters how the scoreboard ended up, but had Notre Dame lost that game in overtime, I'd, I'd still come away from this game being like, man, of course we didn't win the big game, but man, that talent gap has, has really narrowed at the very least. And it's just, it's kind of astounding because a couple years ago, the talent gap was wide or at least wider. Um, If you ask Brian Kelly, it wasn't that wide. And I sort of hear both sides of that argument, but um, the talent gap has narrowed. And that's really where I feel like things are different now. And and that's what, you know, that's how I, I think about, Notre Dame football as a different uh, a program differently now because it just sort of feels like well we can compete with the big boys are we always going to do it on the most consistent basis no um, but we are so much closer to getting that level of consistency where you know we don't have to go into a game against the number one opponent just thinking like oh man we have to play a perfect game with no margin for error to win so um, I don't know I'm encouraged and like I say I think that this does 
makes a world of difference for, for Brian Kelly and Notre Dame's football program. Yeah. I mean, hard to disagree with anything you said right there. Um, this was, you know, kind of that, that elusive missing piece that Brian Kelly had been chasing for, for so long since his time here. Um, and while yes, it is a regular season game um, and it's not, you know, a game in the postseason with any, uh, real stakes. I mean, there are there are still stakes associated with this, but still, I mean, it, it was the number one team in the country, um, and you, you you went shot for shot with them, stuck with them, and and won in just a uh, what was an instant classic of a football game. Um, I think I, I uh, one of the things I look back on, and I think Brian Kelly may have alluded this to this in his press conference on Sunday was. Um, kind of the, the comments that he made following the national championship game in after the 2012 season, where he said that there was a gap that they needed to close. Um, and in, in terms of not just team speed, but also like the physicality and uh, like, cause he felt Alabama just bullied them in that national championship game. And, and truly they did. Uh, and so I went back and I looked, I, I was looking through the box score of that game. And then also the, Cotton Bowl game against Clemson two years ago where, where they got blown out. Um, and so it, looking at those two games and then the box score of this game uh, this past Saturday night, it's almost like it, the like exact opposites, like roles reverse. So <laughs> go back to 2012, Alabama rushed for 265 yards and they averaged 5.9 yards per carry. While Notre Dame, on the other hand, only rushed for 32 yards and was averaging 1.7 yards per carry. In 2018, when they played Clemson, Clemson ran for 211 yards and they averaged 5.7 yards per carry. And Notre Dame only rushed for 88 yards and averaged two and a half yards per carry. Then fast forward to Saturday night, Notre Dame ran for over 200 yards. They were averaging 5.2 yards per carry, had three rushing touchdowns while on the defensive end, they held Clemson to just 34 yards rushing and an average of just one yard per carry. Um, and <laughs> that, especially considering that not only does Clemson have a very good offensive line, they, they have arguably the best running back in college football. Um, so the just the glaring difference there um, was just, I mean, kind of like mind-boggling in a sense, but also just tribute to the work that, Brian Kelly and his staff have done and uh, as we've talked about in prior podcasts the identity that they're building this season where they want to establish the run game um, and ever since you know the arrival of Clark Lee they want to play sound defense um, it's I mean just really really promising um, and just a huge uh, accomplishment for for Brian Kelly bringing this program to where it is uh, now to where it was when he when he arrived yeah so as you were kind of talking and talking about the running game, here's a point also that I, I mean, and this is a good segue um, or a good lead into my point, not necessarily a segue because I'm not changing the subject, but um, think about this for a second. Okay. What Notre Dame had a running back on the second play of the game that got into space and just beat the entire Clemson defense. I mean, if you'd have told me that, you know, that Notre Dame would have a running back that was good enough to just get to the second level and then just turn on the burners on the second play of the game and go 60-some-odd yards for a touchdown. 
right after they played Clemson in the Cotton Bowl, like if you just said that at any point, Clemson or Notre Dame and Clemson were going to play, and that was going to happen, I'd have been like, gosh, like in, on what planet? <laughs> like, I, and it's not to say that Notre Dame was never going to have a big play against a Clemson team. I'm not saying that at all, uh, because even bad teams hit on big plays once in a while. But on that play, gets to the second level runs through basically the outstretched arm tackle of a linebacker, I think, gets one-on-one with the safety, and the safety doesn't even touch him. So if that, just even that one play, just doesn't illustrate to a certain degree how much the talent gap has closed between a program like Clemson and a program like Notre Dame, I don't know what does. Side note. I don't know that Kyron Williams gets enough credit for how stinking good he is because of plays like that. I mean, he obviously can do that type of stuff, but my goodness, is that guy a good blocker? (laughs) Like, and and it's crazy because it's not like Kyron Williams came into Notre Dame with, you know, the level of fanfare of some other running backs. And it's not even like coming into the season that, you know, people really thought that Kyron Williams was going to have that same type of an impact. And, even when he was announced as like the starter before the first game, we're kind of like, Oh, interesting. Like, wasn't really expecting that, but sweet. Like, let's see what he can do. And now this guy is so good. (laughs) He's just, there's not really, there's not really a good word to uh, to use. He's just so consistent in, you know, I mean, blitz pickups. I mean, Clemson blitzed the daylights out of Notre Dame's passing game. And part, a large part of the reason that you guess Tyron Williams is sticking his nose in there and, and picking up blitzing linebackers and safeties and all of these other players. And my goodness, is that guy good? So, like I say, I, I went all over the place. But to go back to the point that, that we were talking about, like, that's just one area where it just is very, very obvious that it seems like this the, the talent gap has – vastly vastly shrunk and like you said that's a great point that you made and you know your statistical analysis again wowed me that you know it really was a a flip of the script in you know those rushing statistics and i can't say enough about it but i'm gonna stop because i've talked for a long time (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i mean why Kyron Williams did not get more playing time last season will forever be a mystery to me. Um, and I, I like I have the utmost respect for a player like Tony Jones Jr. who was Notre Dame's leading rusher last season. But like just looking through the the, the season stats um, and to see, I mean, after following Tony Jones was Jameer Smith and Sebo Flemiser in terms of rushing yards. And they were both in the 40s as far as carries go. Um, and I just, I just don't know why you couldn't find somewhat of a, of a role for Kyron Williams in, in the offense last season. Maybe that's a question for Chip Long. Um, but, uh, but who knows? Uh, the, I guess kind of all moot because now we, we have him as uh, the star back in this offense and he's just – I mean, he's just lighting it up. Absolutely. Um, I was I was on a, a radio show earlier this week, and they're just I mean, just heaping praise about Kyron Williams. And and what I said was, I mean, he plays like he's six feet tall and two hundred thirty pounds. And I, I mean, every time I see him out there, and I'm like, he seems 
it's just kind of like an anomaly because he, he looks kind of, you know, slender and short. He's like five, nine. And I think just shy of 200 pounds. Um, and man, he just, he runs so hard. He's just absolutely fearless. Um, seems like he doesn't wear down as the game goes along. And as you mentioned him as, as a pass blocker, uh, just vastly improved. Um, and that's not like, it's not an easy job for, for a small ish running back to be picking up a linebacker that's coming free because uh, the opponent's sending six guys. Um, so, I mean, hats off to him. He, I mean, he has the potential to be a very, very special player. Um, we'll see. I'm, I'm praying to God he can stay healthy throughout his career because I mean, a role like that and just the, the style of runner that he is um, can, can really wear on you. But uh, I mean, what he's done so far has just been so impressive. Yeah. And I don't know, I was in the process of looking up how many times he carried the ball on Saturday and it was in the twenties, I'm sure. Um, 23 carries 140 yards. Well, he carried the ball 23 times and he probably had about 10 to 15 blitz pickups too. And arguably sometimes I think that the, the blitz pickups, I mean, you, that's not going in on, on the stat sheet. It's not registered like carries are, but that's harder on your body. And like you said, like there was no, I mean, I don't know how many times Ian book was sacked. It just feels like it was like a time or two. Um, otherwise pretty clean. And like I say, a lot of that, it, there was no letdown from Kyron Williams. Let's put it that way. And so I, you know, as, fun as it was to watch him carry the ball, go 60-some yards on the first play, uh, second play, I guess, first play after the, the penalty on the first play. Um, I, I, I just can't say enough about the, the other stuff and how, I mean, it's so hard to be in every down back, carry the ball once or twice on the, you know, on either first, first and or second down and then have to come in and pass block on third down. I mean, that's that's just so impressive, and I just don't. I mean, I got to give credit where credit's due because I don't think some people realize, especially how big of a magnitude, how big of an impact that pass blocking stuff does. Um, so I don't know. I like it. I'll go back. I didn't get anything, get it any playing time to to speak of last year is kind of a mystery. But um, you said you maybe would have to ask Chip Long. There's a lot of questions I think uh, after watching. Notre Dame that I want to ask Chip Long, um, you know, having watched them through eight games, seven games this season. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about another guy who was super impressive Saturday night and also the recipient of the game ball. I thought rightfully so. And that's Ian Book. Um, so this, I mean, we talked about this being a legacy win for Brian Kelly, this was also a very much a, a legacy win for Ian Book. Um, I mean, who was also, I mean, always, you know, you can always point to his record as a starter and say, yes, this guy's a winner. And Brian Kelly loves harping on that. And probably because it's, it's true and he sees it day in, day out, just the, that winning mentality. Um, and yeah, I mean, just that to have the game that he did, he, he, he wasn't, he, he didn't have a crazy, completion percentage I think he was somewhere in the 50s but at the same time there were a few drops sprinkled throughout there and then also a handful of throwaways as well so I think his accuracy was better than what shows up in, in the box score um, but I mean really just what stood out to me was just obviously first and foremost it was his resilience in the second half um, to come back from what was just an absolutely gut-wrenching fumble on the five-yard line uh, 
to end up lead to end up leading a, a game winning or game tying drive um, and then lead them to the victory in overtime. It was just, I mean, nothing short of impressive. You can't say enough good things about the kid. And, and it just seems like the, the coaching staff and, and the rest of the roster just have the utmost faith in him. Um, and, and rightfully so. I mean, to prove them right on Saturday. Yeah. Night. And what I'll say about Ian book is that I, I think he's learned hopefully that, the same thing that the whole team has learned that you can go out there and play an imperfect game. I mean, that fumble, uh, uh, my girlfriend probably thinks I'm crazy. It's the first time she's ever watched, you know, like a big Notre Dame with game with me. And um, you know, when he fumbled that ball on the whatever yard line and then it goes into the end zone. And at that point I sort of thought like maybe game over <laughs> because just the way things were going at that point, I went and I like I you know just just gave a nice little love tap to the back of a reclining chair and just kind of like took a nice little walk to a different part of the room to just kind of huff and puff <laughs> for like a hot second like I don't know and so but in all seriousness I, I, I tell these jokes to try to lighten the mood a little bit but like <laughs> in all seriousness though he doesn't have to play a perfect game and that's what I think has been the biggest thing that's held him back at different times that. You know, when he first came in for Brandon Wimbush, he was the backup and everybody loved him. And all he had to do was just come in and not turn the ball over and complete some short passes. And people were going to be like, sweet. And then they asked a little bit more of him. He still kind of carries that mentality of just don't turn the ball over and, and you know, we'll, we'll be fine. And I feel like that's a very big part of, you know, his a concerted effort on his part. Now he can go, it feels like he went out and he played and even though he had that fumble, even though he had a couple of things not go his way, um, they won the game because he, he just let loose and he just, he just let it rip a couple of times. Um, you know, he's, he made a couple of plays underrated from Ian book. In my opinion was the play golly, I guess it would have probably been in the second quarter um, where it was another goal line type of a situation on a third down uh, where, whatever play they're running, it kind of broke down a little bit. Nobody's open. He scrambles to his right and throws that pass to uh, Michael Mayer that he should have caught and should have, you know, fallen into the end zone. I think probably most Irish fans remember that pretty vividly, but underrated play because, you know, that's, a, that is a, an elite quarterback type of a play. He put it exactly right where he had to for Michael Mayer to have a chance at catching it and then fall into the end zone uh, because if he would have let him, you know, he gets, absolutely clobbered by the Clemson defender that's right there, but just an underrated play. And so, like I say, it just felt like he, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, balled out in a way that I just hadn't seen him just let loose, at least for four quarters of football. There's been different times where one of my favorite games that I've ever watched Ian Book play was last year after they got demolished by Michigan and then they came back, still didn't play that well against Virginia Tech, but were down by six. Um, in the last couple minutes, and he leads that two-minute drive to um, get in the end zone and eventually win 21-20. to 20. He's always had that resilience. He's always kind of had that, um, I don't know, that at times mindset of an elite quarterback, at least in my opinion. It's just that it doesn't always come out. And for some reason, he settled in against Clemson. Maybe it was getting an early lead. I don't know what it was. But he just played loose and – you know, hopefully developed a ton of confidence that will continue to carry um, because let's face it, Notre Dame's going to probably face Clemson again. 
and Clemson's going to be at a little bit more fuller strength. And Notre Dame's going to have to play a little bit better to beat Clemson a second time, and a lot of that's going to fall on his shoulders. So hopefully that confidence continues and, and continues to peak, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I feel like it's it seems like logically, like you get a big win like this, you, you would hope that that could carry you through the remainder of the season. And um, it, it seems like, I mean, I feel like regardless, like playing at a school like Notre Dame, um, you kind of have that standard for yourself and you have to have a certain amount of confidence just to be able to, to win a starting job, uh, especially at, at the quarterback position. But you're right. Um, just playing the way he did this weekend, <clears throat> I could see that definitely elevating his his confidence and especially doing things that, you know, he hasn't really done a ton early on this season and also last season as well, like stretching the field. Um, I I was listening to uh, the Shamrock, which is the athletics um, Notre Dame podcast, and they were talking – or Pete Sampson was talking about how um, – as far as pass attempts greater than 20 yards uh, in this game, it was twice as many as they had had in any previous game this season, um, <laughs> which I thought was pretty crazy. But at the same time, if, if you're thinking about it, um, that seemed like where they needed to kind of attack a team like Clemson. And I guess when you're thinking of like the more elite teams in college football, you really need that, aspect of your offense um and you can't be afraid to take those shots because if you don't then you're you're kind of making yourself a little bit one-dimensional and easier to defend essentially um and they took those shots and they got some great catches from guys like javon mckinley had a big catch from avery davis late in the game that ended up setting up that scoring uh that game tying touchdown um and yeah, just guys make plays. I mean, to see a game like that from Javon, Javon McKinley was was awesome. Um, and especially coming into this, knowing the um, the absences that Notre Dame had in their wide receiver core, with Kevin Austin being ruled out for the rest of the season and Braden Lindsey being sidelined until what sounds like the North Carolina game, um, to see guys like that step up was was just massive. Um, and and really yeah, great to see. I, I mean. Avery Davis, sometimes once in a while, I'm like, man, I don't know that this guy should be on the field <laughs> because, I don't know, it just feels like Notre Dame should have better receivers than a guy that's been tossed around every skill position on the football team. But at the same time, Avery Davis will go down forever as one of my favorite Notre Dame football players just because, you know, he's um, an example of a lot of things that I think are real important in terms of, you know, just resilience and, you know, making big plays, staying ready to make big plays when you're called upon. I mean, my goodness, like the guy in all seriousness has played on both sides of the football. He's played about every skill position. Um, and, and then just in a game against a number one ranked opponent makes, you know, just a huge play down catching that ball, catch and run down the middle to set up that final score. So um, hats off to, you know, like you said, Javon McKinley, Avery Davis, um Skoranek came up with a couple of timely catchers too um another guy that I want to mention real quick uh remember when Tommy Tremble was supposedly not a good blocker when he came to Notre Dame uh those were fun times <laughs> uh throwback to that uh that guy uh, he makes so many just great blocks um and sometimes they're just savvy little blocks too like they're not just always the most overpowering but just good body position and then 
Um, you know, he's got had his fair share of just good physical blocks as well. Um, and just obviously that doesn't show up quite as much in the box score. I kind of wish Tommy Tremble was getting the ball a little bit more to get rewarded for some of the things that he's doing um, to help the run game um, and, you know, make plays for others as well. So, man, like, I don't know that I've been this complimentary of this many specific guys uh, ever on any podcast that I've ever recorded. But I guess when, uh, you know, things like this happen, you, you've got to call some of these guys out and praise them for those things that they're doing. Um, it's a good problem to have, to have too many people. I mean, there's so many guys I feel like that I could talk about that just like made a major big play that, um, was just, I mean, go on down to Jay Bramblett. <laughs> like, I mean, it was a total team effort in all of these things and so many of it, so much of it doesn't show up in the box score, I guess is what I'm sort of trying to say in a roundabout way. It's just a tremendous, like you said, big picture team win, um, against, you know, somebody that has embarrassed us in not too recent memory yeah and shout out to special teams like you mentioned jay bram a touchdown saving tackle uh right before halftime um and i mean i forget who it was a false start right that bumped them back five yards on that play yeah was, was there a false start i don't actually remember to be honest with you yeah, they they yeah, because they were they were setting up to to kick it from fifty two, and they ended up getting bumped back, which is why uh, Jonathan Dora missed the field goal. Because if that's kicked from five yards further up, that's good. And talk about a guy in in Jonathan Dora. I tweeted it out when watching the game, um, and even like talking to <laughs> I forget who it was earlier in the season. Um, shoot, it might it might have been against USF. I think he missed. He missed one or two. It was in some, you know, inconsequ- largely inconsequential game. He missed, uh, what was it, easy-ish field goal. And then someone, uh, my MD buddies were, were texting saying, like, when did Jonathan Doerr, uh, when did Jonathan Doerr, like, get bad? Like, what, what happened to him? And I'm just like, he's really good. He's super good. And more importantly, the dude just lives for big <laughs> games. <laughs> and they're like, all right, well, well, we'll revisit this when they play Clemson. I'm like, happily let's happily revisit this because i know he's just money in these big games it was the same um when they were playing she was it last year at georgia i think he had a couple big kicks and then at the at the usc game we were at last season as well he just i mean just one of those guys who just loves these big spots and yeah if that kick was if they kick if they were kicking it from 52 that that kick's good and he's what four for four right. a day something like that but of course, they're further back, and then it ends up falling in the hands of the last guy that you want to see <laughs> catching the ball for Clemson and running the opposite way, which is Travis Etienne. And yeah, Jay Bramblett just—I mean, what what an athletic play, uh, and, the, and just kind of fearless too, because I, I don't know what what both of them are listed at, but I mean, I'm sure Etienne probably has like what forty oh, sure. pounds on him at yeah. least. Um. So yeah, that was that, that was massive. I was I was pretty pumped up to see that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we were talking about, there's just too many guys to, to list that, that made great plays in this game. Um, you mentioned Avery Davis and yeah, cannot echo that enough. He's just, he's a football player in every sense of the definition, um, has been moved all over the place and been totally willing to do so just looking for an opportunity to get playing time on the field. And really, I think, I mean, if you, if you kind of think about it, like him playing so many different position possessions positions probably helps him become just a better overall rounded football player because 
if you're a wide receiver and you have experience playing quarterback and you have experience playing defensive back as well, you kind of know, all right, I know the best way to kind of set up my route to, um, you know, kind of deceive the defender that's lining up across for me and also know exactly where I have to be and know where the quarterback's expecting me to be on a given route um, and just make that his job easier. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, can't say enough good things about that kid. And also you look at the fresh, true freshman Michael Meyer who had a little bit of a rough start of the to this game uh we already talked about the pass that he dropped out probably would have been a touchdown he also had a false start on a fourth and short um that Notre Dame was going for and they, they snapped the ball and it looked like they were probably gonna get it um and maybe even score on that play but ended up after getting pushed back having to settle for the field goal um and then in the second half he had a handful of catches, had a really big catch in overtime along the sidelines. Um, just, yeah, was was making plays. And that's an, another kid that the offense and Ian Book has complete trust in. And to see, see that from a true freshman playing a position at tight end where Notre Dame recruits very well um, is, is pretty damn impressive. All right, let's dive in. I guess we can kind of dive into – the flow of this game a bit because I think it, it was, and I, I think we alluded to this a little bit, um, how Notre Dame jumped out to a big lead in the first half. They're up 10 going into halftime, but then it started to unravel a little bit. And in Clemson's first two possessions of the second half, they ended up tying the game at 23. And then on the following possession was when Ian Book had that fumble in the five-yard line. And I, I'm pretty sure it was at that precise point where Notre Dame fans around the country were just all collectively saying, here we go again. Like, <laughs> and I, I, I just remember like looking through, we have a, a Slack chat for all the writers that slapped us on. And it was just, I mean, a, a little bit ridiculous. I kind of have to just like, uh, just like close the app and just watch the game because some of those guys, and, and I mean, they're just really passionate narrative fans like the rest of us so um obviously they're gonna have extreme reactions to that but they were <laughs> essentially and i won't name names but but some of some of the writers were just like you know what brian kelly can't do this like it's not in his dna like if he wants to leave for the nfl so be it like let him walk out the door i don't care let's move on <laughs> and uh, uh so fortunately following that um we did get to see the the late game heroics for me and Buck in the offense to, to tie this game, send it to overtime. And I mean, really a game of this magnitude, I felt like deserved overtime. And especially in the overtime period is when you saw the, the numbers that NBC reported kind of like make a big jump, because obviously if people were at home expecting this not to be very competitive, thinking Clemson was going to blow Notre Dame out and they see, Oh shit, it's tied. It's going into overtime. Hey, I got to tune in and see how this one ends. Cause College overtime, and we can talk about this later. It's a completely different discussion, but college overtime is the right way to do overtime in football. Um, it's far superior to NFL overtime, and I will die on that <laughs> hill. Um, so, Ben, <laughs> you, you talked about how, uh, you know, your reaction to the book fumble. What about, um, I guess, a couple of drives later when Clemson had scored to go up by a touchdown and – that following drive was when Notre Dame uh, had a what was essentially going to be a first down due to a defensive pass interference. 
the flag was then picked up by the referees after they kind of uh, conferred at, at the midfield and Dabo was just like throwing a fit. So everyone was basically saying, oh, Dabo is yelling at them and that's why they're picking up the flag. They end up going for it on fourth down. Uh, they had an open Ben Skoranek who dropped the pass for Ian Book and resulted in a turnover on downs. So I guess at that exact moment, uh, put me in your state of mind. What's going at through your head? At that point, I was just – that was like the bottom of the spiral for me. Like I thought that that it had completely spiral, spiraled out of control, especially when that flag was picked up. It's like – I mean, the four, the ingredients, maybe not the order of the ingredients, but all of the ingredients of a Notre Dame blown game were right there. I mean, double-digit lead, lost the lead, got down, not only just lost the lead, but then got was trailing by a touchdown. Uh, refs start making some bad calls. I mean, it was all there. And then dropped passes and uh, all of that stuff. Uh, and so at that point, like I say, I thought it had completely spiraled out of control. Um, it felt about mid spiral, like right before, you know, the book fumble that we've talked about a couple of times. Um, and like I say, at that point, I thought it was just, it was like, Oh boy, well, like, let's see if we can get a stop here. But, and that's generally my, my attitude towards things, uh, in general, it's like, let's see if we can get a stop here, but I'm not holding my breath. And, um, you know, I like being wrong when it comes to uh, situations like that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it I, I think that's the most remarkable thing about this game is that you had the, like, you know, Notre Dame plays pretty well for a while. They get behind and then they start looking like they're going to come back and then they come up just short because of, you know, things that you just scratch your head about. And, you, you know, you had all of those things that you've experienced before, but yet the ending was different. And it was different against a number one team. It wasn't like, you know, one of these games that we had watched where, you know, they've done this against lesser opponents where it's like they messed around for a while and then had to come back and win it right there at the end. This was like they did it against um, a number one opponent. And you have to – when you have played at Notre Dame and you're in a Brian Kelly-led program, you got to know – I mean, who knows how much of – cognizant thought was happening in terms of like oh my gosh here we go again among the Notre Dame players um but you got to think that at least somewhere even in your their subconscious like oh here we are again in a big game and we choked I mean I, I think that's very real to a certain degree and yet somehow they compartmentalized all of that terrible stuff that has happened and went out and won a football game. Like that's the part. And like I say, I don't know that I have the perfect, I'm struggling to find the words to say like how that just baffles me and blows my mind in the best way possible. But that's just how I feel. So like I say, my biggest takeaway from this game, and my two biggest takeaways from this game overall were one, they were so resilient and overcame that. And two, they didn't even play an A plus game and they beat the number one team in the country. And I guess pretty much everything I've said has kind of come back to those two things. And it's just refreshing to see how far Notre Dame has come. Um, and that's what I talked about is just the evidence of that. Yeah. I, I think at, at that point, um, I think it was that, that fourth down that they, they didn't get, I was, I always, my, my family has a little, uh, group text going um, and it's, it always obviously pops off during their game games <laughs> and I, I just remember 
go to go to that group text and just texting this sucks <laughs> <laughs> and just like completely defeated and just like thinking that there was absolutely no way um that they were gonna overcome this because that drive i mean one they didn't get that fourth down like that looked kind of promising they had picked up a couple of first downs and were right at midfield so it looked like they were gonna right. get points um and then they end up not getting that fourth down and there's two minutes left or a little over two minutes left in the game. And Notre Dame does have all three timeouts, but you still, at that point, you have to be able to stop Clemson, essentially force a three and out and, and get the ball back to um, hopefully give your offense some chance of, of driving down and tying this up. Um, and they did just that with also the help of some uh, pretty bonehead plays uh, by Clemson. Cause I think ETN went out of bounds on on two plays um, and sort of saved yeah. Notre Dame a couple of timeouts. Uh, they, yeah, they only had to, to burn one um, ended up, they, they got the three and out that they needed and then got the ball back with like a minute 40 to go. And if you're like, if you're Dabo, um, you, you probably given Tony and Elliot just, just an earful there because how in the world do you not take off more time off the clock or force Notre Dame to spend all three of their timeouts? Um, it's, I mean, it was just, it was just insane because at that point, if you're Notre Dame, you're, I mean, you, you do have to play with a little bit of pace, but your entire playbook is still pretty much on the table. Um, you don't have to completely get away from the run game if you don't want to, uh, you know, you just got to pick your spots. Um, and after they got that big play, from Avery Davis and they were down on the five yard line. I was thinking to myself, cause at that point they hadn't spent the timeout yet. I was thinking to myself like, all right, first to go from the five, you can run it right. two times right here and probably score. Uh, now they didn't do that. <laughs> and I was kind of, I was a little bit, a little bit ticked off because the first two plays of that, what were they? Hold on. I'm pulling up the drive chart now. Um, it was just two incomplete passes. Um, and I, I remember, I think one of them was just like a, a, a complete throwaway. And I was just thinking to myself, like, how? Like, how do you not run the ball there? Um, but then Ian Book made another great play on, on third and goal. Um, and Clemson, they dropped eight. We're only rushing three. So Book had time in the pocket. And it was basically just an orange curtain across the goal line, uh, playing zone, just trying to take away any little space that the Notre Dame receivers had. And when Book kind of rolled outside of the tackle box uh, into a little bit of space, he forced a defender to run up off that goal line and, and take away the threat of him running the ball. And that defender running up created that window for him to throw the ball to Avery Davis. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just, I mean, a complete roller coaster of a game. And as, as I mentioned before, like this, this matchup, like it, it deserved this type of game, uh, just a, a, a total back and forth uh, in prime time between two top five teams. I mean, just you couldn't have asked for for a better moment. And obviously, uh, bonus points for Notre Dame actually getting the win for us. You know, yeah. Sitting there watching and it. I think you've hit all of that nail on the head. Um, I want to rewind just one. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter or not. There was. And man, I wish I could give this person, I've been looking for it as you were talking, I can't find it, but I wish I could give this person that noticed this credit, uh, that play where ETN fumbles that pitch and it falls right into the lap of Owusu Koromoa and he returns it for the touchdown. Um, that play 100% is a halfback pass. Did you see this? 
I did. Uh, I did. I did. I probably rewatched that clip that had circulated on Twitter um, yesterday or today. I don't really remember, but that a hundred percent, you can see a couple of part of the reason that, um, you know, um, JOK had the free run was because those receivers are kind of like they're dummy blocking for a second. And then they're supposed to take off down the seams and you can tell that they did that. And obviously, you know, in order to, and I talked about this, I went on Mark Rogers TV right after the game um, and was talking with, you know, our buddy Nathan Erbach and then a couple of Clemson guys. Sure. Obviously ETN is, you know, needs to catch that pitch, but like the diagnosing of the play by JOK is he heard the footsteps and you don't, he doesn't drop that. Or if he does drop it, he gets right back on it without just the unbelievable athleticism and instincts to beat a block to, to just be right in the right place at the right time. And then you add to the fact, well, it makes a little bit more sense why he dropped it because he was getting ready to, to catch it and throw it then. Um, and like I say, the clip doesn't really show the whole field. So I can't say this with great certainty, but I'm pretty sure there was a Clemson receiver pretty wide open. So, uh, <laughs> and obviously, and that would make sense too, because if you're Notre Dame, you know, your whole defensive game plan was predicated around keeping the ball out of ETN's hands um, and so again, just a, uh, it's a game of inches, you know, I mean, if that play, if he, if Cormo is in a different type of a coverage, if he doesn't diagnose the play as well as he did, Clemson might score on that play. And if you think about when that happens, you know, Notre Dame was faltering a little bit, um, had been up 13 to three Clemson had cut into it. It was a 13 to 10 ball game when that happened looked like Notre Dame was sputtering a little bit offensively. And obviously Clemson was going for the jugular right then and there. Um, they were going for the jugular when they sent ETN back there on the, for, to try to return a nice little kick six. And every time Clemson tried to, you know, do something like that to come at Notre Dame's throat, Notre Dame responded and, um, you know, dodged a bullet and then delivered a, a, a punch back, which is again, like I say, just another testament to how things have been different. Uh, for this Notre Dame team than they then at least it feels like they're different than it has been in the past. Yeah. And I, I, I think you're right that 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 guy was wide open running down the sideline. It was one of those, you know, fake a bubble screen, you know, the receiver runs up, chops his feet as if he's going to block the defensive back and then just releases. Um, and yeah, he was wide open. It lo- It did look like, because I mean, there was absolutely no hesitation from, from JOK and maybe it was just a pure uh, read and just, you know, shoot the gap, like see the ball go get the ball. Um, and if that was, I mean, good Lord, that's, that's impressive as hell, but it looked like it was, it, it seemed like it was a call blitz um, and just, you know, right place, right time. Uh, <laughs> man, like how in the world does Travis, a player like Travis Etienne have two plays in back-to-back games that result in, uh, fumble recoveries return for touchdowns. Um, it's just mind boggling. Uh, and really, I mean, you just don't always get those opportunities. And when you get them, you have to make sure to cash in. And that's exactly what Notre Dame did. As you, as you mentioned, you know, you gotta take advantage of those moments. Um, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, they add up, um, and Notre Dame needed every, every bit of those six points that JOK gave them right there. Um, yeah, I think they – and I saw someone also share uh, a, a clip of Clemson running that same exact play earlier this season yeah. against FSU it was. Um, 
And ETN like has a decent arm. He 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 ended up completing a pass. It wasn't as wide open as it looked appeared to be um, in this this game this weekend. Uh, but yeah, he completed like a 20, 25 yard pass to to a receiver. Um, so yeah, he could throw. <laughs> That's definitely something he could do. Uh, and probably something that I I guarantee Clark Lee is going to make sure that his his defense is aware of um, if there is, you know, an eventual rematch of these teams in the, in the conference. Yeah. How's it uh, just to sort of wrap this thought, like we had the number one team trying to run trick plays against us because they were on their heels like that. That also just blows my mind. And so I won't make a big point about that because I've been mind blown about 10 times this podcast as I rehash things that happened. But I mean, wow, that's all I got. Yeah, that's the old cliche, you know, that's when you know you you have the upper hand or you have the the team kind of exactly where you want them is like when they're trying the the trick plays because they know they need to in order to get an edge. And honestly, Clemson really didn't didn't appear like they really needed to to get an edge by running the play like that, but um I mean that's kind of you you just get that in in college football coaches more willing to to do goofy stuff like that just to try and you know break up in a big play um and just create a spark uh, and that i mean that would have been a huge momentum swing so happy it, it it turned out the way it did all right um yeah i think we covered this pretty dang thoroughly um but at the same time like it a game like this definitely definitely deserved that uh <laughs> so let's look ahead to next weekend when Notre Dame is traveling to the Northeast to take on Boston College and obviously the big comparison that everyone wants to draw is that in 1993 Notre Dame beat number one FSU at home and then went I think was it was it a road game against Boston College you know I'm not sure well either way they played Boston College the next week and were upset um and that cost them a bid at a at a national championship uh, so obviously people are very, very wary heading through this week as this game approaches. Um, and I, I mean, rightfully so, because you get a team like Boston College is kind of like in the same vein of a pit where you just kind of know that they're always going to play you close. And obviously Pittsburgh this year, not a great example of that, but in recent history, that's just what pit and it's just what BC teams, they just always do that. Um, and Notre Dame, let's see, they're opening. I forget. I think they opened as a little bit bigger of a favorite. I'm seeing 13 and a half points now. Um, but, I mean, I guess that's right around where I would expect. I think if I had to take a guess, I probably would have said 10. Um, and I don't know. I feel like my perception of Boston College may be a little bit skewed because I, I think they're a really good team. But, like, pulling up their schedule and seeing the results of their games, like, they haven't really – prove that a ton um they beat duke by 20 which is similar to what notre dame did they beat texas state by only three points they had a really great game against north carolina that they lost by four points um they went into overtime against pittsburgh and won by one point there i don't know if that was a a failed two-point conversion or a missed extra point situation um they then got blown out by Virginia Tech and um, who's kind of had their own struggles, but it's still a decent team, I think. Uh, they beat Georgia Tech by 21. 
And then they had that great game against Clemson a couple of weeks ago and DJ Uyunglele's first start um, where they jumped all over them and were up 18 in the first half. And then Clemson just shut them out in the second half and came roaring back. Uh, but that, I mean, it's their, their, their solid football team. Um, but at the same time, this is a game that Notre Dame should absolutely win. I'm really not all too worried about the final outcome of this game, but I 100% could see this being a lot closer than uh, most are expecting it to be just because of the toll that Notre Dame, uh, the, the toll that a game like Clemson has has on a team like Notre Dame, because not only do you have a primetime game against an elite opponent that goes into two overtimes. Um, so you have the physical toll there of just playing an, an extended game um, and obviously against super tough competition. And you also have just the emotional toll of, you know, feeling like you finally uh, got the proverbial monkey off your back um, and, you know, feel like you've earned somewhat of some respect that you have, have the field storming afterwards. Uh, and it's just, I mean, it's easy to see Notre Dame coming out and starting this game a little bit sloppy, uh, so to say. But one good thing that I that I think most Irish fans can hang their hat on is that this is the type of game that Brian Kelly has proven time and time again that he can prepare his team for and that he's he can go out and win um, with you know with a, a, a decent amount of certainty um that's been i mean if you're if you're gonna praise brian kelly over the past couple seasons you you really got to point to all right he doesn't lose games that he should win all the games that he's favored in he's gonna go out there he's gonna win them he might not cover the spread but he's gonna go out there and he's gonna win them um which is a sign of a good coach and the really the, the main thing the main criticism of kelly was that just that he couldn't pull off those big upsets against the elite opponents so I think that's one thing to to give us a little bit of comfort. Ben, how are you feeling heading into this weekend against? Um, yeah, I don't worry too too much of being much of a an emotional letdown against Boston College because there's enough reason if you're a Notre Dame football player right now to kind of navigate that. First of all, you know, I guess you know it's not like Notre Dame has has been at the top of the mountain. You know what I mean? I, I almost would feel worse if Notre Dame was a proverbial, like number one, number two type team. They won a big rivalry game. They're really feeling themselves. They think they're going to cakewalk the rest of the way to the college football playoffs because that's what they always do. Um, and then they play a team like Boston college and there's the letdown for Notre Dame. It's a little bit different in my opinion. I was thinking about this today. You know, it's like Notre Dame hasn't quite even probably still reached the top of the mountain yet um, in terms of proving that they're a team that is going to be there time and time again. And so that coupled with the fact that um, they're going up against a familiar face uh, in Phil Dracovic, obviously, I I think they're going to be pretty locked in. And I think defensively, if you look at, and I've only really – I've watched the Boston College game against Clemson, caught bits and pieces of other games at different times. Boston College doesn't really run the ball very well. Uh, their leading rusher only is averaging um, 3.9 yards per carry. So um, I, I think Notre Dame's going to – I mean, obviously they've shown that they can stop the run uh, against very good rushing teams. And so this time I think they're going to do some other things to try to, you know, really try to – Full Phil Dracovic 
And, you know, I don't really expect them, you know, Boston College to be able to hit in the running game a whole awful lot, even though Notre Dame's defense is undoubtedly going to put less of an emphasis on stopping the run against a team that doesn't already run it very well. So um, I'm not too worried. I don't think Boston College can even come close to scoring enough points uh, to make this game all that interesting against Notre Dame. I mean, even if you go back to, you know, watching them play against Clemson, you know, of their 28 points, there was, you know, the play that, I mean, one of the the touchdown was scored on defense. They were shut out in the second half. Um, They had to, I mean, they were the recipient of a short field because of a Clemson turnover one time where, um, you know, and then kind of a lucky catch by, a receiver in the end zone on a uh, kind of like a back shoulder fade against Clemson. So some things went really well, I guess is what I'm trying to say for, for them to keep it close with Clemson. And I just don't, I mean, you can't, you can't live like that. And I think they've found that out because, you know, they beat Syracuse 16 to 13 last week. So um, like I say, I'm not too worried about it because I think that there's enough reason to, to keep the focus for Notre Dame Um and, you know, as long as health and things continue to go Notre Dame's way, I, I, like I say, I just, I just don't worry about it too much. Yeah, and hopefully I think as, as the week progresses, we can, we can all kind of settle in a bit and, and feel a bit more comfortable with this game. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a tricky stretch for Notre Dame to, to finish out the season because after this Boston College game, they have the week off, um, which coincides with their, their finals on campus. Um, and then they have a Friday night game at North Carolina, which is kind of a, a weird spot and going up against an offense that can definitely light it up. Um, and then they finish the year with, with Syracuse and Wake Forest, both of, of whom they should beat comfortably. But, I mean, Wake Forest has, has done some things that, uh, have been, you know, look pretty decent at times. So certainly not teams you can overlook. Uh, I guess one thing to mention, too, with the win over Clemson, uh, Notre Dame has also earned itself a little bit of of wiggle room when it comes to um, making it to the conference championship game, where now they can afford a loss because they have that tiebreaker over Clemson. So you can lose an ACC game, and finish the season with one loss in the conference. And if, say, a team like uh, like Miami, I think, is the only other one-loss ACC team, if they have some tiebreaker – well, they don't have a tiebreaker over Clemson because Clemson beat them. But, <laughs> but, but either way, so they, they could still lose a game and make it to the conference championship. And really, like – Obviously, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because then you kind of need to have a win in order to make the playoffs, as opposed to if you make it there undefeated, you know, a respectable loss may still get you into the playoffs. Um, but something that they, I mean, they earned with a big win over Clemson and something to keep in the back of the mind if somehow Boston College does pull the upset this weekend, you know, it's not time to hit the panic button right away because um, the season's not over yet for Notre Dame. And one of the perks of, of being in a conference, even if it's just for a, a one-year deal, is you get that extra data point that everyone loves to, to tout. Um, and now you kind of have that in, in your back pocket. But, I mean, like I, like I talked about before, this is Brian Kelly's MO. He has coached his team to a level where they know what the, the, their set standard is, 
and more often than not, they beat the teams that they should beat. And Boston College is definitely a team that they should beat. Um, I mean, certainly some interesting storylines with uh, the matchup between Book and Dracovic. Uh I think it kind of favors Notre Dame just because, I mean, a guy like Clark Lee and the defense has seen Dracovic, um through a number of practices. So I think they, they've got a good kind of read on him and uh, maybe they know a couple of his tells. I mean, there was that whole story about how Kyle Hamilton had what was it like a million interceptions in that one spring when he was a true freshman and most of them were off Phil Dracovic. So uh, maybe he can read his mind. Who knows? Uh, one thing I, I, one thing I do want to look for um, is to see how Notre Dame defends the deep ball, because I, I mean, Dracovic's not afraid to take some shots and, and Boston college has a receiver in Zay flowers who is uh, I mean, he's a pro uh, and they love to, to take shots to him uh, deep. So something that, that Clemson definitely had success with uh, this past weekend. So I, I, I would like to see the secondary play a little bit better there and, you know, just, just make it more difficult for, for the Boston college offense and, you know, don't give up as many big plays, make them string together. Um, yeah. Just drive. to piggyback your point, uh, Zay Flowers. Anything else you wanted to add on this matchup? Catch. Um, Hunter Long has more catches, uh, 43 receptions, 501 yards. Um, they got another receiver that uh, CJ Lewis, 19 receptions for 322 yards. That's almost 17 yards per catch. So the big play and then the, you know, the tight end over the middle um, is really where Boston College predicates most of its offense. So um, that's going to be where the game plan is for, for Notre Dame undoubtedly is going to be managing that. And I think they can do it. And obviously we, like I said, um, I don't, worry about Boston College's run game whatsoever. So um, plenty of opportunity to, you know, take something away from Boston College in terms of their passing game and then, um, you know, just play good, solid defense. And I'm not necessarily saying that they're going to go out and play like the three deep safeties like, you know, you and I saw and referenced in our last podcast against uh, USC. But um, definitely the major point of emphasis is going to be controlling that big play, like you said. All right, Ben, before we get you out of here, let's get your score prediction for this game. So as a reminder, Notre Dame is favored by 13.5 points, and the over-under is set to 49.5. 35-14, Notre Dame. All right. Um, I kind of have a, a little bit of pressure on me this week because um, my predictions the last two weeks in the, the Slap the Science staff picks have been – Kind of close, and I don't purport to be <laughs> some type of clairvoyant as you so graciously compliment. <laughs> yes, I just think I just got super lucky. Um, but uh, now I kind of have to try to do my best to keep the streak alive. Um, and so I, I'm feeling I'm feeling Notre Dame thirty, Boston College twenty, and that seems like two round of numbers. But um, the spirit, the aura, that's what I'm feeling. So that's what I'm going with. Doing something to you. Or... <laughs> yeah. Well, all right, Ben. Uh, as always, thank you for taking the time out always to, to time. join Thanks, the podcast. Jack. And hopefully next week we're breaking down another Irish victory. Thanks to Ben Belden for joining yet another podcast. And as a reminder, if you do enjoy the podcast, Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening to it. We'll talk to you again next week. Until then, go Irish.